Welcome to episode three of Hot Singles. Um, I am Rex. You can find me on Twitter at Regression Three S's, and I use they them pronouns. And I'm joined by Autumn uh, or Allison, whichever you prefer. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. I use they them or she her. I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of flexible on it. I like both. Uh, we're doing a bit of a flexible pronoun situation. Yeah. Um, and we are here to talk about some albums. Yeah, I brought we- Car Seat Headrest's new album, um, Making a Door Less Open, and you... I brought Anoni's album, Hopelessness, from 2016. And one of these albums is um, uh, a lot less than the other, so we are going to talk about Car Seat Headrest first, because I think we can knock that one out pretty quick. <laughs> hey, so... I, I guess that's a bit of a burn to start with, but I mean, hey, sometimes some albums are just very good and very important and others are not. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, is it time to just jump in? Yeah, I think so. I'll never see the threat too soon The blood on the bandage, the ghost in the room Got a canvas as wide as the moon But when I see it at night, it's a sickening blue thinking people never change but there's a new taste of dread that i cannot explain and the thoughts that make up my life get reflected in others from time to time now i've got another question and if we run out of time can we make an exception got a piece that needs completion to hear more from you is what I'd like to do. Oh, temptation. I could be a part of you. But hell if I know I never learned to dance 
having a solo career um and will it uh kind of made his big splash with teens of denial in 2016 and it was like his 10th album at like age 23 or 24 uh he has been <clears throat> very prolific since then uh or he's been very prolific for a very long time, and since Teens of Denial, like, things have slowed down pretty dramatically, um, uh, and Making a Door Less Open is kind of his big, like, return after, like, he had a live album, he had an album, uh, Twin Fantasy that he, like, re-recorded and did a new version of, but, like, this is the first new project in quite some time, and since, since 2016. <coughs> And I'll, I'll read this quote that I read last time, if people forgot it. Um, you know, uh, Teens of Denial and all his previous stuff has been kind of straight up and down rock and roll. And this quote, The songs for Making a Door Less Open contain elements of EDM, hip-hop, futurism, doo-wop, soul, and of course rock and roll. But underneath all these things, I think these may be folk songs because they can be played and sung in many different ways, and they're things... They're about things that are important to a lot of people, anger with society, sickness, loneliness, and love. Um, and I, I guess I want to highlight this quote because I like this album a lot. And when I read this quote, uh, when I picked this album, I was like, Ooh, I don't know if this is going to be good. Like, this is a scary <laughs> quote to read from, you know, this white guy <laughs> you know um and there are all of these things on this album i guess but i i don't think that will has fundamentally changed as a songwriter in any way and so this still is very much a car seat headrest album and i think your like enjoyment of this album is going to be very much based in do you like other car seat headrest albums <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think that's to a large degree true. Like, there are definitely changes. Like, this isn't one of those situations where someone says, oh, I've been working with these crazy new producers and then pulls out the same thing that they were making three mm -hmm. years ago. Like, there are a bunch of new sounds and electronic bullshit. That, like, yeah. that is genuinely new. Um, but, uh, like, no, I totally agree. The songwriting, the core of the, like, the trick that he keeps pulling with the, like, long, spitfiery Julian Casablanca delivery mm -hmm. to, like, mm -hmm. epic choruses that deliver punchlines that are sad and ironic and really effective. Yeah. And, like, that's a trick that he keeps pulling on big songs and it's really good. Mm -hmm. And he writes really good melodies and hooks and they're still really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, so... Why do you want to start with this? I, w I want to leave it to you first, because I'm sure you have, like, um, bits and pieces you like, at least. So, yeah, like, I, I, it's kind of hard to pick apart where to start with this, because I don't... The thing that I like about Twin Fantasy and Teens of Denial 
is that they are so cohesive. I think Twin Fantasy especially has this quality of like, in some ways, like you'll feel like you're listening to one song that lasts like 49 minutes or whatever the length of that album is. It's it's uh, 71. Oh shit, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the thing that makes this harder to pick apart, I think, is that this album is very fractured. It it feels like yep. that Toledo had a lot of stuff that he wanted to do, uh, but he couldn't make any of it kind of cohere into a whole. Um, maybe the place to start is that if you depending on the medium that you're listening to this album in, you're going to get a a fundamentally different album. My favorite yes. song, Deadlines Hostile, is the third track on the streaming version, which is on Spotify and all that. This song does not appear on the CD or the vinyl. <laughs> yeah, and then what I will call probably my least favorite track is Deadlines Thoughtful, which is a mm-hmm. different version of the same track, which is track seven on the digital version. Yes. Um, and and the same thing happens with Him, which is a remix, like a breakbeat remix in the on the digital version and then apparently a droning ambient version that i haven't heard yeah i have not heard the the original quote-unquote version of him yet um i have heard the quote-unquote original version of deadlines because i found someone had uploaded it and i like that one quite a bit i don't know why these two songs are called the same name but <laughs> they seem quite fundamentally different, but mm-hmm. it's apparently the thoughtful and hostile versions of them. So who could say? Um, um, so yeah, like I think it's worth picking up on that sort of fractured stuff because part of it is fractured in terms of there are like, going back to Teens of Denial, there were no like one minute skit songs. Right. This has a like a bunch of stuff that's in the sort of one minute to like what, one and a half minute to three minute range that is like either throwaway and poppy or frantic and like undeveloped. Um, I say undeveloped as a sort of pejorative thing. You can hear in the sort of word choices I'm making that I don't quite like this album as much as Autumn does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But um, that the, there is like, Car Seat Headrest was consistently in Teen Sidonal working at the scale of these like four and a half to six minute tracks that like mm-hmm. start out with like, Post-punky or motoricky. I kept thinking about Radiohead when I initially uh, listened to um, to to Teens of Denial, um, yeah. or the Strokes and stuff like that. These sort of like quite taut, quite nerdy um, uh, grooves that slowly expand into these like really stroppy garage rock tracks. Yeah, the, and, the, the like, song, they have a trajectory. Yeah, go for it. Go the for song it. that I was introduced to the band by was um, Vincent, which is a seven and a half <laughs> minute song from Teens of Denial that starts with like a minute and a half of just one guitar riff, like no drums, nothing, just this guitar riff that slowly builds and builds and builds into like this in like one of the biggest songs that I have ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and it's fantastic because like the songwriting and the sort of all the sort of little aesthetic things, like the the guitar textures and tones and the the drum production and the lyricism is a huge part. Of oh that. yeah, the, like the slow, intense build that gets more and more like in its own head and more and more neurotic and more and more overwhelming by the time you get to these like big roaring like punky guitar choruses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you need five minutes to get there. Um, 
there are only one or two, well, I'd say maybe three tracks that have that sort of both structure and scale on this album. A lot more of it is a lot tighter and a lot smaller, but mm. it's constantly pinging back and forth between the two. So like my favorite track on this album is the opener, Weightlifters, because it is exactly one of those six minute yeah. expansive start off with that like tight um, neurotic beat and slowly turn into a guitar like tear out. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. I was, m- not, it's weird. You're always like, what? It, I'm listening, trying to look for an album that isn't here to, to the thing. Um, and that's like maybe true to a certain extent because what I got out of Cassie Headrest on on most or the entirety of Teens of Denial, I only got in one or two tracks here. But yeah. more than anything, I don't actually think the shorter, like more scrappy, more poppy tracks are quite successful. Yeah, like, Hollywood that's... is a terrible song. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood is awful. It's, it's um, bad. So the quote you pulled out from at the beginning is it's about things that matter to a lot of people. Hollywood does not matter to a lot of people. It's a it's a song about being in the music industry and being annoyed at like people in the music industry and it's just a a boring trite thing to keep talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um it's yeah like of course everyone is worried about whether Hollywood is going to make them puke or not. That's like an incredibly important thing for for everyone to worry about, just as you are, Mr. <laughs> Mr. 11th album, major indie label record contract. Right. Like, and, you know, I think, like, his concerns on this album about the music industry and fame and, and all of this stuff kind of come from, like, being indie rock famous for four or five years now. Like, he has been... Part of the reason that he didn't put out an album is that he has been on tour pretty much constantly <laughs> um yeah i saw i saw him play in one of those tours and he was amazing and yeah he's a great show and, live yeah yeah oh god um and yeah no i i was just like obviously fame changes people as a kind of asinine take but like mm-hmm. no like seriously there are there are some aspects where he still feels like the guy who wrote teens of denial and some aspects where you know you're gonna hate this comparison because i think it both works in terms of the career trajectory and the sound in a lot of places this really reminded me of Art Angels. Oh, you know what? I can see it. I can see it. I almost so thought you were going to say uh, Kanye. <laughs> no, wow. Not quite the sound, because Kanye doesn't make this music. Yeah. But um, there are a couple of aspects to that. So one is the very much like... Uh, Grimes was indie rock... Oh, sorry, indie pop mm-hmm. slash electronic music darling that got big got indie music big got to best track of the decade according to pitchfork big and then started putting out albums that leveraged that bigness for more and more expansive politically unusual and unsettling and ultimately like kind of horrific ends (laughs) she is now the partner or maybe x who knows um (laughs) they're now the partner of elon musk and like that's the world that she is in and it's like a it's emotionally a very different space to where she started out with like tracks like I don't know what Genesis and um, Oblivion being tracks about like like very esoteric emotional bullshit or the like terrible fear of being a woman in a dark street at night and like Mm -hmm. both of those are spaces that she's just nowhere near anymore yeah Um, California is the same song as Hollywood except that California fucking bops (laughs) yeah California's just a well written song uh, the other part, though, is, like, the Unu Toys bit of this, yeah. which is um, there is always a thing that happens when a guitar band discovers how to use a synthesizer, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is they find some presets that they really like, 
and they mm-hmm. use them a lot and they have that like giddy ooh it sounds all electronic and cool that's exciting <laughs> And they don't realise that people have been doing this for decades. Yeah. So, like, I was constantly getting the Grimes thing of, like, this feels unfinished or, like, it feels like you want to do high production, artsy, electronic-led, like, indie music and haven't spent the craft and the time developing these ideas into something that's actually either, like, impactful and punchy or stays closer to a sound that is more comfortable alongside the guitars. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that the tracks work in that sense. Like, Him Remix is a track which is like, got a bunch of what seem like drum and bass loops pulled out of a sample pack with very little refinement and very little, like, uh, very little, like, they feel incredibly outplaced and incredibly plastic. And if you listen to a drum and bass track, like actual genre dance music, th- none of that plasticity remains because it's been produced and reproduced both technically and within the conventions of a genre to a point where it's no longer like like the thing you started out with whereas this feels incredibly like baby's first paint by numbers uh learning a digital like music production software yeah and it just it got under my skin because i'm like the point of comparison is like we've had lcd sound system we've had bands that have like fully integrated very old school well i'm not gonna say old school very mm-hmm. like naturalistic integrations of electronic instrumentation into this kind of a long form narrative led um nerdy um self-aware indie rock and they've done that with like a, both like a lot of technical acumen but also a lot of reverence for the craft of stuff that's come before it like you listen to lcd sound system and you cannot help but hear talking heads in it you cannot help but hear like a bunch of new wave stuff as well as the like very obvious like sonic youth guitar guitar stuff like it's not a bad thing when people experiment it's just that like this feels unfinished this feels like scrappy for me yeah and it annoyed me all the way through the the production on this album is by Toledo himself and someone who he's been working with since at least Teens of Denial. I didn't scroll back far enough and like yeah, I think they have like a, a side pro- like an electronic side project together, and they just basically carried over the the stuff to this. And I wish, I wish that like Will had found like a good electronic producer to like like hey, I've got these songs. And I want to get this sound with them. Can you help me get there? Because, like, I don't have the tool set to do it, clearly. (laughs) You know? Um, It's... So, I I do like this album. The first time I listened to it, I was kind of like, eh. And then yesterday, I got off work at at 9.30 p.m. And I listened to it driving in my car at night. And I was like, oh... This yeah. is the, the like, if I pick out the four or five songs that I like on this album and I put them in a nighttime driving playlist, now we've got something. This is not yeah. a great project, but there are moments that I like a lot that kind of save yeah. it for me. Yeah, no, I can absolutely see how that would that would work. And I, um, I'm like, the problem for me is I'm both not in the headspace... Well, I'm never in those headspaces because I'm a city gay who doesn't drive. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, like, I have too much reverence for the dance music stuff to let him off the hook for it. Like, yeah. I've listened to more than enough, whether it's LCD or... Or indeed, like... Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with obvious examples because, like, none of them sound exactly like this. And the two points of reference I had were Grimes and LCD when mm-hmm. I came into this. Um, but yeah, like, 
I've li- well, it's like caribou and uh, hot chip and and groups like that, where like you can feel the like like understanding of how to do electronic music, both on a technical level and in a sort of like historicized sense. And none of that is what I got here, and I'm not going to let him off the hook because like yeah. Deadline's thoughtful is a track that like uh this it's just grated. It the first three minutes was exhausting. Like they, it was like one of those moments where you're like. You know those points in a film when you're checking your watch and like, okay, this is grinding on. When, when are we getting to the good stuff? Uh-huh. This was like by minute two, I was like, okay, we've been in this four to the floor, like faux dead mouse bullshit for two minutes already. Are you mm-hmm. going to do something with it? And the answer was like, kind of, but not really. And it just like, those were the moments that made me like, not, it's not a souring on the project. Cause like weightlifters is still an incredible track. It, it will like, be one of those situations where, like, that's a track that goes into my Tracks of the Year playlist. But the rest of the album I'm very happy discarding because, like, I know what it is and there's not really something here for me in the same way. Yeah, and... Um... And, yeah, like, it, you know, he's done the trick of this is, like, two minutes of, of this thing, but he's he is a guitar player at heart. And so like, it sounds better when he's doing that trick on the guitar than it sounds when he's doing it on a synthesizer that he's been playing for two years, maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah. um and, and just like, I, other people have done this better. If you want this album, yeah. just go listen to sound of silver. Like it's there. You can, <laughs> it's, it's a decade and a half old now. And it still just sounds better. Like in terms of that weird combat weird in terms of that, like, original like raft of indie rock groups discovering synthesizers and like incorporating them in a actually satisfying way like that those albums exist and they're out there i mean julia julian casablancas went through this like figure out what a synthesizer thing is and he's not very good at it but there's some there's some moments where i'm like okay yeah or indeed you could just listen to all the strokes records that sound like they've got drum machines in there because of the production technique and that's actually the more like satisfying moments because like that i could go listen to half the tracks on on is this it the first strokes record right now and be like i get the same things that i got from, from um from lcd because it's about that neuroticism and that about that drive and that like post-punk motoric stuff mm-hmm. that like give it the impetus and the energy and like that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be synthetic. All it needs is it needs to be like metronomic and driving and providing that vibe. Because like it just because it's electronic does not mean it is a certain way. You could do literally anything you wanted. And like it just he's chosen one that is both kind of well trodden, not polished in a way that's particularly interesting, and also not DIY and incorporated into his own sound in a way that I find compelling. And like mm. that's the the thing that I've struggled with trying to get to grips with this album in the last week or two. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I think that kind of does it for this album. Like, well, a little more down on it than... Both it was exactly as down on it as I was expecting and also wasn't as, as bad as I feared. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. So to be clear, I didn't hear the hip-hop beyond like one no. section where he used 16th quarter notes and like, oh, is that trap? Does that count as trap? Yeah, no, no, it doesn't count. I, doesn't I heard, count no. Yeah, no. The 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 hip hop part is just not present on this album, and the hip hop was the thing that I was worried about. And I think, <laughs> yeah, I think maybe he like listened to to an Uzi song and was like, "Oh, I kind of like what this kid's doing. I'm gonna put a 
trap beat on one song for two bars, maybe? I can't even remember where it would be, but I remember hearing it and being like, is this what he's talking about? Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. All of a sudden, when you spend your entire life making guitar records, two bars of um, 16th note hi-hats are, like, suddenly revolutionary, you know? (laughs) I'm being really snipey because I have really high standards for him, basically. Like... (laughs) He could be making the best rock records of the decade. It's fine. Like, yeah. Like we said last time, himself. Teens of Denial, probably the best rock record of the 2010s. For me. Like, I have I have my rivals, but, like, it's up there. You know what? Maybe I'll, I'll get us to, to talk about others at some point of those, like, Rhett's got written to a rock record and see what we think. Yeah. Um, how yeah. about we move on to Winoni? Let's do it. Let me be the 
British, um, or at least British-born, singer-songwriter, performer, um, and and producer. Um, she is trans, sort of like was like gender non-conforming in a non-descript way for a large part of her career, um, where she was the like front person and how would you describe the sort of like central thing again one of these sort of collective situations where like one part it's a solo project with a large collective body behind it rotating and that project was Anthony and the Johnsons um and then ever ever since sort of finishing that project in the when was it like mid uh uh, 2010s um she pivoted yeah she pivoted towards a solo project like explicitly solo project and a much more electronic sound, which produced this album in 2016 called Hopelessness. Um, it is co-produced by Anoni and um, two electronic producers, one of whom we've talked about already, uh, Daniel Lopatin, so one of Tricks Point Never, who I mentioned very briefly in the... in the uh, who co-produced Bits of Grey. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hudson Mohawk, who is a, like, Warp Records... Um, oh... Uh, like super day glow hip hop producer. Yeah, he was. Uh, so you know, um, Lunis, who did that that Kanye B and a bunch of stuff on Yeezus. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's half of Lunis as well. Okay. Um, Yeezus, the best Kanye album. So. Oh, sorry. Oh God, Lunis is the other half of that project. The duo is called Tonight. I mixed that up, but yes. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Yeezus era Kanye production, day glow hip hop hyper impactful brash over the top ridiculous like when when edm started breaking out everyone was referencing what hudson mohawk had been doing for a decade um Mm -hmm. and it's a really really good it's a really good interesting starting point of like a mix of the the backbone of this album is like dancey hip-hop like the track forms are all that and the sound design within that is like it, ranging from like tear out EDM to the sort of plastic stuff that OPN is really famous for, um, like brittle plastic piano noises, synthy like MIDI synths, all that bullshit. It's very good. I like the sound design a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the subject matter of the album is um, is dense, shall we say? Yeah. Um. Anoni basically wrote what I described before as like a selection of ballads and bangers for the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the opening track "Drum Bomby" is written in this sort of like first person from the point of view of like unnamed like resident of Middle Eastern country suffering from drone strikes. Four Degrees is this sort of like. I, we, I could literally um, go through every tra- uh, track on this album, but like the subject matter is like the surveillance state, capital punishment, Obama's record on drone strikes, mm-hmm. gendered violence, um, ecological crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the, the headspace we're in. Um, so yeah, that is the sort of backbone for this album. Um, can I tell a little story before we dive in? Please do. So this album was out in 2016. 
um, uh, like the spring of 2016. And that was the point I had been at university for about 18 months and was going through a horrendously bad depressive phase, which caused me to briefly drop out. I say briefly, it was a full year out. And because I wasn't doing any actual work, I was like picking up bits and pieces to like actually connect me to the real world. And one of those things was doing a review for this album for student press. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave this album a four and a half stars. I kind of stand by that review. I don't think I got anything particularly wrong about the album. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened about a day after that album um, review went up was Anoni picked it up on her Facebook page. And the fact that it was all like lowercase and weirdly spaced and punctuated makes me think that it was actually her who read the review and put it up on her own Facebook page, which is kind of (laughs) But it meant that like at genuinely like the most, one of the most desperate and lonely points in my life, I had like a thousand people resharing my like a thousand words about this album, Mm -hmm. which was a very odd sensation. And that's like something that has hung over me in the relationship I had to this album Hmm. for the entirety of it. Um, Ever since that though, like, Political concerns have shifted because Drone Bomb Me and Watch Me and tracks like that and Obama have like become, it's almost trite now to be in the sort of like, we live in a world where Glenn Greenwald has made the pivot from the guy who was in the room with Edward Snowden to the guy who's like doing Russia apologism on Fox. Uh, we live in a world where like the drone, like Obama's droning record isn't under scrutiny because like the international like relations concerns of the US are like entirely different. And mm. we also live in a world where four degrees seems like five years prescient rather than like <laughs> the sort of like uh uh look at the the sort of hippie um like British expat in San Francisco talking about ecological crisis. Ah uh, Mm. Um, I d- not to say that I was dismissive of climate change in 2016, but more that like the urgency and the way it's related to in the wider political sphere is entirely transformed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like how this album relates to me politically and also emotionally is like intensely tied both to like the person I was in that 2016 moment, but also like this rapid succession of transformations in like all political spheres, like it, yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, internally, sociopolitically in the US, um, environmentally, um, international relations wise. Um, and then also just like, am I depressed or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah. for, for me, this is interesting to come back to because I first heard this in 2016, uh, like when it came out, um, this was like pretty instantly like hailed as one of the best albums of the year in 2016 and i listened to it and i didn't get it at all and also it must be noted that in 2016 i was 20 years old voting and voting for the first time and was like all in on like hillary clinton's gonna save us somehow Mm, yeah and so i came back to this album because you we met in 2017 you told me how important this album was to you and so i listened to it again and i was like Oh, I get it now. I had to be disillusioned with the system too to like yeah, <laughs> get this. So, yeah, so like all all of the tracks lyrically take this really interesting position where it's constantly like either sort of like ex- almost accelerationist, like ironic mm-hmm. acceptance of catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And there's a sort of like watch me is the sort of like erotic adoration of the surveillance state. Um, mm-hmm. Same with execution, like this erotic adoration of capital punishment, 
or mm-hmm. it's like a fucking diatribe or it's like Obama and crisis and mm-hmm. and it, and it's like this is the great moral failing of our time mm-hmm. i this is desperate failure how could you ever conscientiously live in a world like this and like both of them are like sides of the experience that we actually needed to go through politically like the ironic detachment part the sort of like firm like placement of complicity was an, an aspect that i was like incredibly susceptible to in 2016 but like uh the drone bomb me shit is like i i was wallowing in a space where hearing someone do that sort of like finding of power within the like intense self-loathing or intense like acceptance and like ownership of complicity mm-hmm. was really really exciting for a person who was like doing all those things but just to like in like bash my own self esteem right um and then like slowly over time um but like i said like it became easier to have that sort of ironic detachment because ironic detachment became like one of the default modes of engagement of all leftist politics right but also like my fury just kept on ramping up over time as i variously sifted through like weak leftism through to corbynite socialism through to like properly read up marxism like mm-hmm. a track like crisis suddenly starts to feel less like a like a a positional thing and start st- stops becoming more of this like ironic like orientation and more like no i take those words explicitly and seriously even in their like absurdity and then yeah. like the slow shift in relation between the two is just like a a fascinating thing to track yeah so this was the thing that i wanted to like dig into is that 2017 i had this relationship with it was like oh now i get it now i see that the system has always been bad that like etc cetera, etc cetera. um and coming back to this how now i am in a place where like i really like, this album is hopeless. This album is, on some level, nihilistic. And, like, on some level, I want to, like, re- reject that because I I do find a great deal of, like... Like, I, I don't want to be hopeless because it is very it is very easy in 2016. It is very easy in 2020 to be hopeless, to be like, it's all just going to fucking burn. There's going to be an, apoc- an apocalypse. Um, like, we can't stop like, the U.S. Imperial, like, machine. Um, And so I feel this hopelessness. That is easy. I never want to fall into that personally because I think it is, like, destructive on some level, especially for me as a white person living in the U.S. to to give in to nihilism, to give in to, um, like, not... um, I don't. I almost said not caring. She she cares a great deal. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's it's stuck in that in place of like intense dissonance dissonance because of the production. Like mm-hmm. the production. Like the, the her own quotes and interviews are like exactly the sorts of things that I was pulling out when I listened to it back in back four years ago. Which is like her quote: "The kind of relentless, exuberant, almost ecstatic positiveness of Hudson Mohawk's music." was the perfect fall for the challenging lyrics, that, for the more challenging lyrics than people would be used to hearing from me. And that, like, there is, there's a kind of, like, it, it's weird. Like, you go back to Anthony the Johnsons and some of it is, like, incredibly intense, incredibly, like, sad and, like, going through all sorts of different emotional stages, whether it's, oh, the emotional states, whether it's about 
grief or hope or whatever it is, but it's got this sort of like poetic quality to it mm-hmm. that means it's not like engaged in political problems. And like, there is always something political about someone writing tracks like what the, the sort of tracks about like, like hope somebody or, um, uh, for today I'm a boy, which is just like trans anthems in various different yeah. ways. At the same time, it's like, I don't know. I, I I feel a kind of like, I'm going to say like wet liberal impulse hiding behind every like singer songwriter with a piano or a guitar. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a sense of like, there are not actual radical things that can be communicated in the form, but that like, she was in a, she was trying to communicate something actively different and needed a different format for it. And the trick was not to be like, right, I'm going to write a doom metal album or something random like that. Mm-hmm. The trick was like, it has to be in a state of permanent cognitive dissonance. Cause like that state of like, in like utter contradiction is the one that is necessary to deal with the world as it is. Like you have to acknowledge the like vast overwhelming nature, the, the like completely like, subjectifying the completely like depersonalizing nature of the world that you're you're faced with and then find like celebratory like passionate joyous exuberant ecstatic mm-hmm. to, again to borrow her adjectives things within that like the, the the experience of the world is still exuberant and ecstatic no matter mm-hmm. what and that like that's uh again very explicitly coming from a background where i've had always had a love of dance music that was a feeling that kind of ambivalence that comes across so so strongly in so much dance music that is like trying to find a way to party through an AIDS crisis or like like yeah. economic collapse in the Reagan years like that's a that's a sort of continuity of the use and the power of like conflict and a contradiction and dissonance or cognitive dissonance within like electronic music as a way to communicate something that could literally not be communicated any other way yeah, the, the, the moment in 2017 when I came back to this album that um, I fell in love with this album was not when I was listening to it, was, like, two days later, I was doing my dishes and, like, singing the melody to Drone Bomb Me, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is, like, this is dark, but, like, this, like, Drone Bomb Me is, like, a melody that still gets, like, stuck in my head even when I haven't listened to this album in months and months. Like, like, it is, like the album, like, kind of lives with me in some way because, like, that melody and and the very dark stuff that, like, she's saying, like, lyrically, gets in my head and, like, like forces me to, like, if I ever just am, like, going about my life and that song pops in my head, like, I'm now thinking about American Empire and, like, you know, our, like, complicity, our role in, like, doing something about American empire. Um, it's, it's good. And and yeah, like I haven't listened to this album in probably a year. And as soon as four degrees comes on, I know that song. I know crisis in my head. Uh, I, I, a lot of these songs are like in my, like in my head and in my heart because of like the way that it is produced. Um, and because of like, the things that she's lyrically doing, like, forces you to, if you want to sing along, if you want to, like, enjoy the the catchy tracks, like, you've also got to think about, like, the world. 
Yeah. And and like I think it's important as well that um you stay in like again, I've been reading a bit of Brecht thinking mm. in, in terms of alienation device that like this is not an album that you can simply just stop at that like exuberant enjoyment of. It doesn't let you do that. And I think for that reason the like slower, darker, more morose, more like punishing tracks are like necessary for that. As well as also like even within a track like um where well, those big tracks you're talking about, the drum on me, four degrees, why'd you separate me from the earth crisis? That they like have to take the breathers to just like let the voice stand out, like let the lyrics stand out, stand forwards, um, and like d- allow that to take a centerpiece. So you're not allowed to just listen to a track like Four Degrees and not think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be made up front for you. I'm also like, there it's very easy to like construct that like complete dichotomy between lyrics and production. Whereas I think like there are a couple things like. One is the vocal performance, which yeah. like I remember thinking back like mid like Berlin era Bowie was one point of reference for that like really in like oh, almost yeah. thro- throat buried dark tone, and then mm. also just because of the way she uses vibrato, I keep thinking about Nina Simone. Yeah, um, the the just like there is a both in the androgyny and in the sort of like intensity of that voice, there is something really arresting about it. But then also I kept thinking about like. How would you produce this album if you were to just make it like a Hudson Mohawk dance floor smasher album? Mm. And like, it would be less lumbering is I think the thing I concluded with. Like, I think about Hopelessness as a track and when it like hits its climax, the actual like impacts of the drums are like big and thundering and powerful, but they don't have the sort of like flow and like naturalness that you might expect for a, for a track if you were actually expected to dance to it they mm-hmm. like are meant to literally feel like someone is whacking a mallet to the side of your temple like and it has that kind of impact as opposed to one that like gets you moving gets you like it like has that like flow and groove to it mm-hmm. and that i think that that's like a another part where like i don't want to just leave it at like the production is exuberant and joyous and dance musicy because like yeah. i think that it has specifically been engineered in a way that like you have to confront both aspects of it because like you couldn't simply dance to this nor could you simply just like not accept the fact that this is like desperate political like songwriting that is just exuberant in a way that most political songwriting isn't mm-hmm. um what was i gonna say um yeah i don't i don't i think a a lot of reviews that came out about this album at the time uh are that like these two things are in opposition to each other and i think like that is that's not (laughs) true at all i i think um i don't know i think a lot of the like critical music establishment like really doesn't have a framework for like talking about an album like this because like this album, this album did very well with like NPR and, and Pitchfork, <laughs> and like I don't think you have a framework for talking about this if you fundamentally believe in the system, um, and if you believe that like voting for Joe Biden can save us somehow. Yeah. Uh, and I don't just mean that lyrically; I mean that like I don't think you can understand what Anoni is doing like musically, and, and yeah, I like. I don't think, like, 
cis people can really wrap their head around like how moving the like androgynous crooning on this album is to me you know yeah, um 100 this these are songs that i can sing so many songs that i like i can't really sing because i have to go way lower or way higher that i can really go and so like the the range that anoni is singing in is like really moving to me i'm just like oh that's like i can i can do this i can relate to this <laughs> um yeah um yeah no i think i think that's entirely right um the it's weird you go back to i i didn't bother reading the like pitchfork review pitchfork gave it a nine because you should give this album a nine um at the same time like i don't know whether you would (laughs) i don't know whether you'd engage with engage with this album just like ah that's some really interesting like juxtaposition you've done there or like oh no this is put into my head this combination of like contra well, like this album has explained or offered to me the sort of like framework or headspace for understanding a social moment that I would not be able to get without something artistic being able to unlock it for me in the same way that like uh, last week I talked about how like Black Messiah was a really crucial album for me when the like initial protests in Ferguson blew up all of what like five six years ago now yeah and that, like, that was an album that, like, threw its particular headspace in relationship to, like, both the explicit content, the, like, the songwritten material and the subject matter, but then also, like, the histories surrounding it, the way in which you would make an album about, like, black musical expression and the, 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 the heritage you're borrowing from. Like, that's the only way that, like... Uh, I'm borrowing all the like highfalutin terminology. Like there are some things you can only communicate through effective experience. Like there are some things that you cannot simply just like sit someone with a piece of paper that like has words written on it and expect them to understand the world and grasp an experience from that. You need like something like poetics. You need like musical mm-hmm. production. You need theatre. You need uh, like visual cinematography to be able to communicate things implicitly and gesturally that you simply would not be able to do with just like here is political fact or here is like a social structural explanation for like I don't know the Amer- like American surveillance state. Yeah. Um, and that like hopelessness was an album that like over various points in time imparted different like experiential knowledges to me like. I was never, a per- like, I was at one point probably a person who thought you could just do the best analysis and come out with the right answer. I did not, was not, not a person who would, like, consider the emotional experience and the, like, emotional orientation one takes towards, like, politics and political crisis to be an important aspect of how you deal with it. And now it's, like, central to the way I think things work, like, mm-hmm. like orient- the orientation and, like what you think the capacity and purpose of politics fundamentally changes your, like, the way you, like, deliberately navigate through it and, like, actively deal with it. And, and like, I, I'm i struggling to figure out whether Pitchfork, whether anyone reinterpreting this album, I use Pitchfork as a sort of, like, um, punching bag for this, yeah. would see it as either, like, its entirety about the experience, like, ah, I grasped so many new experiences from that album that I wouldn't from any other album. That's so impressive. Or whether the, like, I don't know, the uh, the imaginary non-existent Marxist critic would be like, ah, oh, the subject matter's right on. And that, like, the only reason it actually matters to me is because, like, 
the actual experience was communicative, was like transformative in the way it, like I I received it. Mm-hmm. And that like that's a thing that can only really happen when you have both the like receptiveness to the form and to the the political content. And that like I'm not really interested in the the person who's like talking about hopelessness through the through the explicit frame of like, ah, it's got all this sort of weird internal contradictory stuff between form and message. Isn't that impressive? I'm here mm-hmm. to say it's got all this internally contradictory stuff. Doesn't that put you in a headspace that is transformative? And like right. that's like that's the difference that um that like I've sort of like arrived at over sitting with Sam for a much longer p- period of time. That like I've learnt things through the experience of sitting with an album like this. Yeah, and and oh gosh. Yeah, I I was gonna add on, but I I, I think like you kind of. <sighs> this album's really fucking good. This album's um, really fucking good. Yeah, I. I guess the the thing that I'm I'm left with is that like when I was listening to this album last night, this morning, a couple days ago, I guess I am concerned I was concerned as a Marxist like listening to it like, oh, I don't want to just stay in this nihilistic place, but as we've talked about it, I'm like, no, I don't I don't think it's like lyrically maybe it is nihilistic, but I think there is a lot more going on than just that nihilism um and i would be i would be really interested to hear like um i haven't listened to the ep that she put out about a year after oh yeah paradise and i um yeah yeah so paradise is just really good i don't love it it's not a full project in the same way that hopelessness is but paradise as a single is the one that like uh, if you if you can see the album artwork on on Spotify, yeah, I see it. Yeah. So whenever I, I've seen her do a live show, which was incredible and stunning, um, but the like thing that she does when she performs Paradise is do a number of women, feminine people. I don't know whatever, but like it's it's like a range of different people who relate to bits of her project in different ways, whether it's in terms of like transness or indigeneity and environmental activism to like the consequences of u.s imperialism and like domestic and foreign policy and like Mm -hmm. asking those people to like appear just stare at a camera and like sing through the track with her and like again it's the it's this sort of like you'll be able to get a a version of that if you watch the music video because i'm pretty sure it's just a version of that um Mm -hmm. and that like part of it is this sort of like communicative thing which is i'm always wary about simply borrowing the visual language or like the visual personhood of other movements and other struggles without like substantive engagement but also like Mm -hmm. i know what she's been doing with her time and her money like i know that she is actually like (laughs) actively engaged in a variety of different struggles environmental political whatever it might be Mm -hmm. and that like it's a it's not a project that has as much teeth as hopelessness because it's just shorter and less filled out, but as like a, a component to the, like the visual culture that like expands out from hopelessness as a record. I think it makes perfect sense. It fits beautifully alongside it. Yeah. Um, and I, I would just be, I, I hope that she has a new project soon. I like, mm. you know, 
I think everybody who was left of center in 2016 has hopefully at least gone through a pretty radical transformation like I know that I have and that a number of people have and so I would be interested to hear like like is the new album like still hopelessness is the new album like like ready to fucking fight people like what is the new like where is she at I'm curious how um she have, might have changed in seeing the last four years. Yeah, and there were, because there were all sorts of, like, this this one between the sort of, like, exuberance and hopelessness is one only one of many different kinds of axes upon which you could have this, like, deeply contradictory position. Or, indeed, you could just throw away contradiction as your, like, frame of reference for thinking through... Well, not for entirely, entirely, like, we've all read Mao here. Yeah, I was literally going to make a Mao joke. <laughs> We've all read Mao here as the most uh, expert audio thing to say on a podcast. Um, but like, you you could just be like, the no, now is the time for action. I'm excising the complication from this and being uh-huh. incredibly direct and forceful. Or there are all sorts of other aspects of like contradiction or like confusion that you could go for. Like, I know my experience of like going through like, activist and political and the like theory dense work and spaces over the last like five years of my life as I've like drifted first through uni activism and like party political activism as well as like my academic work becoming explicitly like political mm-hmm. and like um this sort of like how things are versus how we'd like them to be dynamic that's a split that I'm constantly struggling with the like honesty that's effectively like a proxy for like honesty versus like intervention or honesty versus improvement mm-hmm. um uh, the um the, what were the others oh just like action versus safety that like i opted out of a lot of direct action because my autistic ass couldn't deal with like the experiential stuff of being like on the front line of a protest or mm-hmm. more, more relevantly like trying to be the big body in the way when the security guards try and move you. Like, Mm -hmm. I opted out of a lot of stuff. Like, opted into as much as I could, but opted out of a lot of stuff. And there are all Mm -hmm. sorts of dynamics where I could imagine, like, these internal struggles are playing out on the streets of the US right now and have them for the last few months. Like, the, the feeling of, like, is it safe for me to go out in the middle of a pandemic and, like, do, like, have running battles with police? Is it safe for me as the person I am, whether it's black or trans or whatever it might be, to go out on the street and fight police given how vulnerable that makes me um all of those are like political dynamics that i feel it's really hard to be honest about how desperately contradictory my headspace is on all of them mm-hmm. and that like the the space there is a space to be like act well i say activist there is a space to be like direct and forceful and uncomplicated in your political speech and there is also space to like express ambivalence, confusion, and contradiction, and they're like uh-huh. both are really necessary. Like, in, I'm not going to say like all political writing needs to excise contradiction because like the whole point is like you work through problems through explicit like conversation through understanding through bringing together these like contradictory conflicting viewpoints. But like, I still want the artistic expression of that. I don't want artistic stuff that is either devoid of it or simply just like political campaigning. I would love stuff that like speaks and like nourishes me going through the process of ambivalence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I also just I I feel like I've exhausted everything I want to say about this album. Um, and I think I don't remember if we talked on mic or off mic, but I don't want to spend an hour on it because I think we easily could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all I really um, wanted, to, all the little extra stuff is just like some of the songwriting because the songwriting yeah. is genuinely extraordinary in places. Um, um, sorry, one sec. You're good. Um, yeah, uh, the songwriting is genuinely extraordinary in places. The um, just there are some musical jokes in it, basically, like execution being as bright and skipping and happy as it is is always going to get under my skin. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but then it's just like the the both the singles, Drumbomi and Four Degrees, and then pretty much, I I could literally spend ten minutes on every single track on this record. Um, mm. but all of them just have this like brittleness and starkness about them that are like both in the fact that they are like willing to be as impactful as they are willing to be as like sharp and angular and brutal as they are mm-hmm. and then also just the fact that Anoni writes incredible top lines writes incredible song uh, chord progressions and like yeah. has nailed every vocal performance like I cannot say highly enough how much the like the the, the like flow of this album is so easy and effortless and like powerful Every t- even if, if coming back to it four years later when like other people have been in the space where like hyperbop is taking up the mantle set down by OPN and um, and uh, Hudmo and like gone in that direction with pop music in so many different ways like or that like you could almost imagine someone putting the Charlie XCX record from this year up against this in terms of production style mm. they're, they're clearly not identical but just like in terms of the extremity and the the brutality with it in places and like why that's necessary to communicate the things in the various places that they want to communicate but like yeah. charlie xcx is writing about like being hot in lockdown not about american empire <laughs> um yeah the way that anoni sings on this album is so fascinating to me um like do we do we want to drift into the vague like what it's like singing while trans thing um uh, Maybe the, I mean the, maybe we want to talk about that and or maybe we want to talk about like Gex the next time they put out an album and like yeah. contrast the <laughs> two because I think it's two very different ways that are in- interconnected about like singing while trans. <laughs> yeah. So th- for reference, again, Pitchfork being the bully of the bully target of everything we say on this podcast. Yeah. About two years ago, maybe put out um put out this article which was basically oh like, christ i forgot yeah. this yeah and I'm this is what got up. us initially yeah this is what initially got us talking about it which was an article basically saying something on the lines of um voices are things that mark trans people out as different in inverted commas um trans musicians and artists use the like vocal manipulation in all sorts of ways to like express queerness in interesting ways here are some examples and I think we both saw that and felt it was like scarily reductionist to be both like something about like incompatible voices mark trans people out in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And secondly, that, um, that like there are certain like normal or intelligible ways of expressing queerness through vocals. And that, like, just a sort of, like, constant thing in the back of my head has been, for the last, like, five, six, seven years, has been, like, what does queerness sound like? But specifically from a sound design perspective. Like, 
I have been someone who has been in like instrumental electronic music for a very long time. And a lot of queer, queer electronic artists have like found all sorts of weird experimental, interesting techniques for expressing something that is like really densely related to that identity and position and politics and like the social context that they exist within. It's just mm-hmm. that like trying to assume there exists an inherent relationship between sound design and gender seems like yeah. a completely like absurd thing to do. It's just like really unfortunate that the one aspect of it that gets picked up is the one that like fits into every basic ass trans narrative that is intelligible to the cis. Yes, yes. Um the the I'm I'm looking at this pitchfork article again now and mm-hmm. I, I do want to talk about this. I'm like eh, maybe not, but like no, because I also find this narrative about like um Sophie is another person to pick up on here. Um mm-hmm. and I think that uh like oh well the, you know, trans people are using distortion and, and pitch shifting and and speeding things up and slowing things down to to make their voices quote unquote like not normal um and i think in some ways this to me uh and if you read the article like like if if you maybe i'll pull out this quote but like to me it feels this narrative that is very similar to like trans medicalism that is like sort of this is the way to be trans like physically this is the way to be trans sonically in in your like music this is the way this is the way to be trans and the 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 thing that i love about anoni is that i she is like very evidently trans in the way that she sings and she's not doing the sort of stuff that this article is talking about yeah (laughs) you know she is not the same type of singer that sophie is you know um the oh I, i i will just Read this paragraph from the Pitchfork article. It's from 2018. Tits curves and a soft face uh, from hormone replacement therapy. Hair sufficiently mermaidish, but my voice bellows as a bass and cracks when approaching atmospheric altitudes. Mainstream medical approaches to trans- transgender transition expect a transsexual woman like myself to relentlessly pursue normative feminization for all regions of her body and behavior. My voice is subterranean, and I do not want voice feminization surgery to slice the stalactites of my vocal box until the rays of passability wash in. My deep voice feels good, um, but the Snapchat voice filters that elevate vocal pitch tempt me as an entertaining experiment in how I could sound. Chipmunk, alien, robot modes of sounding that chart a path beyond binaries of male and female and this flight from vocal constraints and assumptions are what excite me the most about Sophie's song. So I, I will say maybe I'm being a little harsh when I compare this to, like, transmedicalism, because I think this person is explicitly, like, mm-hmm. trying not to do that. Yeah, um, so I, I think it... But again, it, it speaks to the ambivalence about, like, their, the, like, construction of new normativities and new kinds of, like, essential difference. Yes. That, like, um, the, like, Anoni has sounded like Anoni for the entirety of her career. And that's the sort of thing that like producing some kind of narrative of novelty or exceptionalism about this is the thing that feels really weird to me that like, yeah, no, I mean, cis artists have been doing this forever and it hasn't been about their gender. Um, It's, or at least the interpretive frame hasn't been about the gender because they are not read as gendered beings first and primarily. Whereas Mm. the flip side of that is like, 
where where do you stop hearing my like vocal experimentation where you where do you stop hearing the like timbre and start like reading gender into absolutely everything that exists about me and my performance and so what i think about in relation to this sometimes is is prince because i think prince does a lot of interesting things um with his vocal range that is like Chris is Prince was ostensibly a cis person, um, like, um, but was doing like expressing a lot of like different, uh, like, not normative gender ideas through the way that he sang, and um, something like this doesn't have space for how cis people might express non-normative things. I also think that like I am profoundly disinterested in like like people talking about the way to be trans like i don't like i think i feel so often like be i feel so often like we limit the ways to be trans and limit the uh experiences of transness that i don't want like vocal like like chopping and screwing your vocals to just become like oh that's that's trans now <laughs> you know yeah um <laughs> when I, like when i sing along to songs in my car i often will like sing a verse in like a, a really high falsetto and then go really low for a chorus or vice versa and i think like i am still trying to express like my experiences with gender through doing that and i'm not like you know i'm in a fucking car i'm not auto-tuning shit you know <laughs> um uh i yeah so like it's certainly not like a bad thing that trans people are able to like use this i'm just like yeah. the we're it's, we're huge fans of Sophie and Gex, which are like yeah, two exactly. bands that I think do this. You know, yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's just that the it's it's the sort of like the placing of transness as a sort of consumable or intel like sometimes I want transness to be completely unintelligible to the cis. Yeah, sometimes yes. I want transness to not be a thing that can be like reduced to a set of techniques and postures and performances i want it to be like both utterly unindividual and also like utterly alien and that mm -hmm. like uh this is part of the sort of weird ambivalence i have with the equation of transness with alienness mm -hmm. it, I, that sounds completely contradictory that like it, it the, the 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 filter the filter point is like chipmunk alien robot modes of sounding that chart a path beyond the binaries of male and female i want to I want to assert that, like, there is nothing about non-male and femaleness that is inherently about transness. I want to assert that, like, transness is the, the like, process of becoming incoherent to the whole system. Yes. And that, like, it, you don't simply do that by, like, picking intermediate positions every time you get the option to. And that, like, it feels like the only... Uh, again, it gets into like incredibly deep gender feelings about like what do I really take the sorts of poles that are relevant to me are, and how can I express like intermediacy or ambivalence in, in particular ones. But more, it's like I 
I don't think I ever could. I think like my body pushes back against that in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. And that what I really want is the ability to like communicate something about confusion or ambivalence or intermediacy through like incompatibility or brokenness, which is a thing that like this really smooths over. The like idea that you can process towards a trans aesthetic is something that like in uh, like eliminates the possibility of trans as being communicated by like mismatch and confusion and like brokenness and And i also want to yeah yeah. i'm i'm rambling i just like to say that like every time someone wants to every time someone wants to prescribe the sort of like aesthetic techniques that underlie transness what every queer person is going to do inevitably is break them all over again yeah and what i want to building off that um what i want to stress here is that like I don't, I don't mean to pick on this Pitchfork article so much, but this Pitchfork article is emblematic of something that I see um, in a lot of different trans spaces. Um, you have to ask what trans people are being excluded from this because this article and, and you know, when I have like thought about this in passing and so many people on like the Twitters that I follow, what we mean is, trans women we do not mean like how do you there are no trans mask singers mentioned in this article i haven't mentioned any trans mask singers um like we we don't talk about like a singer like sam smith who is like male presenting uh but non-binary like and how is um sam smith like expressing that through his vocals like there are trans people being excluded by just the idea that, like, you know, playing around with, like, Snapchat voice filters creates a trans aesthetic, you know? Um, and, like, I, 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 what I'm trying to get at is that I feel so often that, like, in the media and, like, you know, in my own work, it's something that I want to change, like, we talk about trans women as if that is the totality of transness and we don't talk about, you know, non-binary people who don't consider themselves trans, but are still like, um, issuing gender norms. And we don't talk about trans mask people and we don't talk about a wide variety of people. We talk about like femme trans women. We don't talk, we don't talk about butch trans women, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm just like, of, underlying who we do talk about, it's like, we talk about people and aesthetics that fit into the things that are allowed to become intelligible. Yeah. And like, it's much more easy to make a kind of like, that something about hyperfemininity plays into things. Like, there is a reason that, to take Sophie as the like, our example, that like, the... The things about that art, uh, that that project that make it so compelling are the the things about it's like making making feminine is somehow being equivalent to making plastic and making unreal and making commodity, and that mm-hmm. all of those are like aspects of the process of becoming intelligible to society outside of like trans and resistive spaces or queer spaces, and that like those are still powerful things to do and they're still compelling things to do. It's just that like there are other sorts of moves you could make that would mean you wouldn't be amenable to, like, 
wider understanding and, and comprehension. And yeah. that, like, consistently the ones that do get seen are the ones that, like, t- are, like, coinciding to make feminine, to make plastic, to make artificial, to make um, commodity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, we're just going to need to actually talk through this with some subject matter. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, And probably get... with some more egregious examples of people getting it wrong. <laughs> we'll put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But we we are over an hour. This is now, I think, the longest episode. Um, uh, I think the last one went an hour 15. I think we're good still. Okay, okay. I did also just want to quickly shout out, uh, just like two days ago, it looks like Anoni put out uh, a cover of a, like my favorite Bob Dylan song and uh, a Nina Simone song. So I'm going to listen to that after we wrap oh, up. Oh, shit. I didn't yeah. even know. I'll send you a link to this. It's, uh, it's all much. over now, Baby Blue, and um, what was the Nina Simone one? The be Nina Simone husband. one was Be My Husband. Sick. So, yeah, I'm excited. I hope that she's got a new project coming. I Hopelessness is so fucking good, and I I want to see... I want to see what's different now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's... It's exciting. It's exciting to know not only that she's still recording stuff, but they're like, uh, I can, there these are two tracks to dig into and pour over and figure out, like, what's her headspace. Right. Um, sounds like we're going to leave it there. Yeah, probably. Hell yeah. Um, we, we talked that whole time and I didn't bring up Ezra Furman once. I'm a fucking idiot. Hey! <laughs> Uh, oh, so I have Dorian Electra as my like trans mask potential person to talk about. But again, like we have all oh, of these opportunities yeah. to yeah. to dig into the shit at some other some other point. So we kind of did plugs up at the top. Um, uh, do we? Do you know what album that you want to bring for next time? No, I don't. This <laughs> is one where I have no pointers even i like have one thought which is do we want to go nah i don't even like that as a pick i'm not gonna say it um we're gonna i'm gonna need to think on this one okay uh i will i will say mine right now because i kind of decided yesterday i was like okay i'm gonna briefly do my spiel here so that i don't have to do it on the next episode um i like country music a lot i think it is a very like rich and diverse genre i think um there is a lot to engage with critically in country music, and I find most critical establishments uh, boring and irritating and close-minded <laughs> because of their refusal to engage with country music. I am not bringing this album to make the case for country music. I am bringing this album because it's one of my favorite albums, and I wanted to talk about something a little older. Uh, and also, I think that it is simply one of the best country albums that has ever uh, been produced. We're going to talk about Car Wheels on a Gravel Road by Lucinda Williams. Um, nice. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> Interesting. So that's a 98 album. So yeah. I'm, so what am I going to do? I'm going to pick something that's like sympathetic to this, something that's like, like going to push against it. Hmm. I'm going to pick the new Taylor Swift album. <laughs> yeah, we're not that. talking about the new Taylor Swift album. If you picked that, I'd be like, no. Yeah, no, I think we're, we're allowed once in a while um, mm-hmm. to, to veto something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm trying to I don't think. want the Tradcath Taylor Swift album on this show. Oh my god, is it really that? I mean, no, but I'm gonna send you some pictures of merch, and you're she oh. looks like every Tradcath Instagrammer. That's a, not a good thing. Um, I am nothing is coming to me being like completely you, obvious for the thing I need to to share. Get back to me like today or tomorrow. I can edit it in. That's what I did with the Thundercat album. Is I just edited it in later. So yeah, fair, 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 fair. Okay, in which I'm case, I'm gonna send you this ugly ass Taylor Swift cardigan real quick, and then I'm gonna send you this even worse T-shirt. Um, uh, live reacting to a cardigan. Oh, that's 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 got stars on the elbows. It's got like a fake version of the baseball double line on the bottom. This is like trying to gesture towards Americana, but in a way that is like incredibly like mm-hmm. the album's called folk- folklore. It's incredibly like folksy and like unthreatening and passive in a way that's like slightly icky like it's not even cool like a baseball jacket if we were if taylor swift i thought when she announced this album that she was doing the pivot back to country Mm. and if she was doing that we would talk about this this album is actually a little gross to me in the way that it is trading on americana and like taylor swift's like image as like you know imager her image as like the white woman <laughs> yeah. you know she's oh, the... america's favorite white lady <laughs> yeah um i swear this cardigan smells very strongly of lavender yes um, um it's not good is this the, the Car- is this the karen album this is a karen album karen swift like I, I've also posted a t-shirt, which I, it was where I started thinking, oh, this is her Tradcath album, and I've also posted an image of her that is, like, above the pitchwork review of the album, I think. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, Taylor Swift in a rugby shirt, and this is her looking, like, pretty and dainty in a, like, an old school, like, very square dress. Yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Yeah. So... Hmm. So yeah, you you let me know when you pick your album. I'll edit it in because that's what I did for the first episode. So uh, I think that's um, ooh, 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 oh. ooh, ooh. Do I have a pick? I'm gonna flip mm-hmm. a coin uh, if I can find a coin, okay. and I'm gonna pick whichever heads is that one. Heads, but tails is the other. Um, it's heads. So I'm gonna say, as an accompaniment to those Cinder Williams, I'm gonna say the album Purple Mountains by Purple Mountains. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know this. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna like spoil the backstory for you. I think you might really like this. Oh, when I when I look it up, the very first result is a Purple Mountains uh, self-titled album review by Fanthony Antano, which uh, <laughs> oh dear. I hope he dies. <laughs> uh, uh, there are worse criminals in the world, but he he won't be saved when the revolution comes. <laughs> Okay, parody, parody. I don't actually hope that parody. Uh, to all the FBI and CIA people listening, that was a parody. I don't wish ill for. Uh, Can I take a moment to vent about the people taking, making, poking fun at everyone who's asking for forward slash s on sarcastic tweets right here? Yeah, I'm doing that. That's the thing it. that I've just done. I made fun of those people. You're stupid. <laughs> you're ableist, and you're idiotic. And I know that no one's actually going to do that. But like, you don't need to make a joke about it. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's the podcast. 
as a podcast. Um, yeah, join us next time. We'll be talking about bands with guitars. <laughs> I'm gonna hit stop.